This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here at the North Valley Church of Christ. I want to encourage you, if you haven't been there yet, to go to our website, www.nvcoc.net. And, you know, I want to start off today, talk about something that I think a lot of folks who are talking about it probably shouldn't, and I shouldn't say much about it, and I want to tell you why. And here's why I haven't said much about it up to now. I want to talk about this movement, the riots that are going on out there. I noticed that a lot of my uh, brothers in in Christ and the churches of Christ are were preaching on it this previous Sunday. I did not. I did make some comments at the end of my lesson concerning this, uh, similar to what I'm going to say here today. Uh, I, I, I'm sure maybe people are maybe listening to this program wondering, well, what should a Christian do in this situation? What should a Christian do with this, uh, these riots and the, the Black Lives Matter movement and the kneeling uh, that is occurring and the apologizing that's going on, the race uh, in, uh, differences and whatnot? What should we do? What's the right thing to do? Well, number one, we need to recognize that there is not one movement going on right now out there with the riots. It's not. There's not. Uh, This is not one movement. What you're seeing is you have some peaceful uh, demonstrations of what I see, at least, what I'm seeing, uh, uh, rioters, not rioters, I should say, uh, peaceful protesters who have a legitimate grievance. Is there racism in the country? Yeah, there is. Is it, um, as some say, what what was the wording they use, systematic uh, racism, whatever it is. They make it sound like we have this ingrained racism that is just in every aspect. That is not true. No way is that true. How do I know? We, this country, elected a black president twice. There are uh, black politicians everywhere. We uh, give, I think, too much honor to sports figures in this country. The majority of those sports figures, guess what? African American. Um, and I have no beef with anyone who who is uh, black or an African American. None at all. I, I'm not racist. Now, what there, what is true though, is that. And this is this is true that you know you drive your car in like certain high level areas, affluent areas, and you're black. Well, you may get pulled over for no good reason. And I will be honest, I don't know what that's like. That has never happened to me, and so I, I don't understand you know the frustrations that they may have with that. Was the George Floyd situation a racial situation? Actually, no, it wasn't. Uh, because the, the guy who killed George Floyd, who was a bad cop, was standing there with a Latino 
an Asian, and another African-American cop who are also charged in the same situation. Uh, there are other groups out there, those who are looting and taking advantage of the situation to steal stuff. Then you have this other group known as the Black Lives Matter group. I don't know much about this group, but I don't think they are rioting because of racial inequality. I don't think that's what's going on there. I worry about that group. I think they're hijacking the the movement. So be careful. Be careful making a decision on these things yet. I remember not too long ago, the kids, the high school kids from the Covington High School, when that video came out and that uh, Indian was standing there and that kid was smiling at him, and the news media made it look like and sound like that that white kid was racist. He had on that Make America Great Again hat and all evil. Even people on the on the right, their conservatives were, were condemning that, that poor kid and those other high schoolers. And then the truth came out. Another video that showed reality of what was going on there. People jumped the gun. Be careful jumping the gun. Do we need to address some things in this country? Well, of course. Can you get rid of racism wholeheartedly and completely out of the country? No, you can't. That's impossible. Just like getting rid of crime altogether is impossible. You can't do it. And defunding the the police in the country will not fix anything. In fact, it will make things worse all around. But that, I think, is the goal of some of these groups. I don't think it has anything to do with race for them. They just want to destroy the country. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, I don't want to get too much into it. And I will say uh, this for the Christian. What should the Christian do? Especially if you're unsure, if you don't really know what's going on. Just keep doing what God expects of you. Keep doing what God expects of you. I want to talk about the story of Zacchaeus from Luke chapter 19. And let's start by reading Luke 19 verses 1 through 10. I actually preached this Sunday morning. And uh, most of the congregation didn't hear it because our streaming did not work accurately. We actually had our first major technical difficulty. And hopefully we can get uh, that fixed for next week. Luke chapter 19. Let me read verses 1 to 10. He, that's Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, Half my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, the story of Zacchaeus 
only occurs in the Gospel of Luke. And it, it, it seems to me that, you know, it's possible that as Luke interviewed people for his Gospel, and, and, and we know he did that because in the very opening of his Gospel, he says that he had, he's telling Theophilus, who he's writing to, that he has investigated these things thoroughly. So he more likely talked with Zacchaeus, and that man's story probably stood out to him. And uh, it's also possible, given that Zacchaeus' name is used here, he's probably known to the early church and may have been an active member of the early congregation in Jerusalem. And so, you know, he's short, you know, small in stature. He's a short man. He had to climb up that sycamore tree. And that's interesting. You know, sycamores, like in in Africa, for example, they were called the queen of trees. And in Egypt, they were called the tree of life. They had this... A fig-like fruit. It was praised by a lot of folks by, for their, its medicinal properties. And these trees were so valuable that back in the days of King David, David appointed a special caretaker to protect and to cultivate these trees. That's found in First Chronicles 27-28. And so the tree that Zacchaeus climbed up into was highly regarded and valuable. And the limbs of this valuable, highly prized trees was uh, there was this, you know, that unwanted man, Zacchaeus, a sinful man, that wee little man. You know that song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Yeah. He was a tax collector. And in the days of Jesus, tax collectors were a little better than maybe pond scum. Pond scum. Just like they, no, I shouldn't say that. And so the Pharisees would complain to Jesus, oh, why does your teacher eat and with tax collectors and sinners, we see that in Matthew 9.11. And all through the Gospels, we're told no less than eight times that people complained about Jesus eating with those tax collectors and sinners. It was like, you know, there were sinners, and then there was that special class of sinners, right? The tax collectors. Why were they so hated? Well, they worked for the Romans, Rome occupied Israel and the land, and the people were literally owned by them. They were in charge, and they didn't want them to be. And so the Jews hated, hated that. And the, the tax collectors, like Zacchaeus, who worked for the Romans, he was seen as traitors, and they were seen as traitors to the nation. But not just traitors, they were also viewed as thieves. Back then, tax collectors, they were not paid by Rome. Rome simply said, hey, we need uh, this much tax revenue, so you go out there, you collect that, and you can charge an extra percentage on top of the tax for yourselves. And they would often charge whatever they thought the person could pay. A really good tax collector could make a lot of money. In our text, Zacchaeus was called a chief tax collector, and he was rich as we saw there in Luke 19.2. And you know what that means. It, it means he was, he was good at his job, right? So if Zacchaeus was so rich and powerful, if he had everything he could possibly want in this world, what was he doing looking for Jesus? A couple of things. Now these are my opinions, okay? I'm, I'm going to give you some of my opinions on this. I think that Zacchaeus was tired of his life. I think that he became a tax collector to get revenge. Well, maybe get revenge, I should say. Maybe. You know, he was a wee little man. He was small in stature. Maybe he was ridiculed. Maybe he was picked on. Or, or maybe he was just a, 
a bad guy. And so when he became a tax collector and people in, the, in his community started to shun him and treat him poorly, he thought, you know what? I'm the tax collector, and I'm going to I'm going to exert my power. I'm going to show you who's who, and he's just going to crush the people that he think, thinks is his enemy, that he thinks you know really wronged him. And so he used that to get revenge because revenge is sweet, you know. Not really. Not that long ago, a, a medical clinic observed that 95 percent of all cases of depression is caused by repressed anger. And that's why someone once said, hate is a prolonged form of suicide. And I think Zacchaeus had hate. And that there's that, you know, you got a price to pay for for bitterness. And that's why Zacchaeus, that's where he was right now. Revenge wasn't nearly as sweet as he thought it would be. He was tired of the anger, tired of the bitterness, tired of the rejection he's been experiencing. He wants to change, but he's not sure how. And so Jesus comes to town. And it's been rumored that Jesus doesn't care who you are or what you look like or what you've done. The rumor was that Jesus has eaten with tax collectors. That's what Zacchaeus probably heard. Oh, man. Wow. And that he's told the chief priest that tax collectors would make it into heaven before the chief priests did. He was even said to have a tax collector as one of his closest disciples. You know who that was, right? Matthew, formerly named Levi. So all that, I'm sure, appealed to Zacchaeus. It gave him hope that this rabbi, that this Jesus, might just accept him. And that, uh, in the fact, in the that Jesus was said to teach a lot about forgiveness. And I think that's what Zacchaeus was looking for. I think he looked at his life and he recognized, man, I need to change. This is not working out. My, the, the life I chose, the way what I've been doing is not, not working out. So Zacchaeus rushes out to the street and he's not sure what he plans to do, but he, he just wants to see Jesus. And if he were to find Jesus, something might be able to change in his life. But he can't get through. You know, I, I have this uh, Bible book that I read to my children. It was called uh, Bible Stories. It was made for kids. And it's just real simple. It's got a lot of pictures. And in the in the pictures, it's got the story of Zacchaeus. And they drew Zacchaeus ridiculously short. He looked like this miniature little guy amongst giants. And he's in there trying to jump around to see around people, but he can't see. It's just... He's just too short, and nobody likes him, so they're not going to let him through. And he doesn't know what to do. He can't see Jesus, so he sees. He knows that there's this sycamore tree down the road, and so he rushes ahead, knowing that Jesus is going to take this road. And if I climb up this sycamore tree, I'll be able to see everybody, and then maybe I'll see Jesus. Now, imagine that you're Zacchaeus. You're up in that tree. You don't like the direction your life is going in, and you're looking for a change. And here comes Jesus. You see him coming. And it almost looks like he's looking right at you. He doesn't know you. You've never met him before, ever. But, man, you wish he did know you. And on he comes. And what happens? He comes up right to that tree. You're looking down on him. He's looking up at you. He's looking right at you. And what does he say? Zacchaeus, 
You know, this is the first time that Jesus ever visited Jericho in his entire ministry. It's true. And this visit to Jericho is the last city on his final trip to Jerusalem where he'll be betrayed, beaten, crucified, and buried. And Jesus says his name, Zacchaeus, just like he was his friend. Come down out of that tree. I want to go eat at your house. He spoke to him. He wanted to go to his house. He knew his name. And he had offered, Jesus had offered Zacchaeus hope that maybe he might just get the chance to change. And so Zacchaeus climbs down out of that tree, rushes to his house, orders his servants to prepare the meal and and oversees every detail of the preparations. And then he turns, and there's Jesus at the door. Maybe he's struck by the poverty of his soul. Maybe by the shabbiness of of his life and the selfishness or his, his... the pettiness of it, or the bitter, whatever it may be. You know, some people, excuse me, some people see Christianity as a nice, comfortable religion. Lots of folks come to Christ, but they don't really change their lifestyle. They did what they wanted before they met Jesus, and now they do what they want to do after they meet Jesus. They come, they sit at church, they sing a few songs, they pray a few prayers, they listen to the sermons, but they never change their priorities. People like this do what they do because they've decided they've, they've deceived, I should say, they deceived themselves into thinking they can get away with it. They believe that if they can hide their sins from others, they can continue to live like they want, and they can do it for just a little while. It's like that little boy where his dad told him, hey, I want you to go take the dog for a walk. And so this little boy takes a dog for a walk. He's going around the block. He doesn't want to do it, so he's trying to rush it. So he's got this poor dog on a leash, and he's jerking on that leash, choking that poor dog. It's yelping, and he doesn't care. He's just moving along. And then suddenly, his father appeared and accusingly says, Do you want to tell me how sorry you are? The boy looks up and said, I can't do that until I know how much you saw. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of folks are like that about their Christianity. They're not sure how much you've seen. But they're hoping it's not, it's not too much. But of course the problem is God sees. And one of these days, people who play that game are going to be in for a rude awakening. When Jesus comes back, it's not going to be a pleasant experience for them. And God has always called for a change of life. When John the baptizer saw the crowds coming out to be baptized by him in Luke chapter 3, he said this, uh, he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. When Paul stood before King Agrippa, he said this, or he said that his ministry had been this, 
So King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first, and also at Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea, and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. That's why when the crowds at Pentecost asked Peter, what shall we do? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent means to change. Change your lifestyle. Change your priorities. It's not enough just to give lip service to God. You've got to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Because if you don't, there's going to be a price to be paid. And you are not going to like it. So did Zacchaeus do that? Did he repent? Well, I think so. I think, Of course he did. When Jesus came to eat with him, remember in Luke 19.8, it says Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, a half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give it back four times as much. Four times. So when he repented, he put his money where his mouth was. He was so repentant, he was willing to give half of all he owned to the poor. That's pretty significant. Now, you know, this doesn't mean that every rich person needs to do this. Zacchaeus became rich because he defrauded people and stole from people. He did. Not every rich person does that. Don't think that way, okay? Actually, let me go to this. Well, let me... uh, Finish this little section, and I want to uh, explain a few things about who, you know, what he did. Uh, he declared that if he cheated anyone, and, and he had, he was going to give them back four times as much as he took. Now, under the law, if he stole, let's say, for example, in our money, if he stole $100, he was required to give back $120 to his victims. Zacchaeus was so changed, he offered to give back the original plus an additional 300 to whoever he ripped off. And I'm sure he ripped off quite a few folks. And he didn't have to, but he did. And you notice that Jesus did not have to say anything. Zacchaeus just realized in the presence of Christ, of his Lord, that, and that's all it took. And it wasn't that he's thinking, oh, I'm rich and I shouldn't be rich. He's thinking, I stole and I shouldn't steal. And I should make restitution to that. He stole it. And so he repented, and he sought uh, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It's not that he sought, you know what, 500 years ago, someone in my family stole, I need to take care of it. No, he is looking at his own life of what he's done. King David wrote this in Psalm 32 in verses 3 through 5. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. David thought he could get away with telling God that what he'd done, and it became after a while, like he could hardly breathe because God's hand had, was being upon him day and night. All God wanted for David was to fess up and do better. And that's all God wants from us. Admit when we've done a wrong 
and then determine to do better next time. That's why John wrote to the Christians of his day in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is the God of beginning again. When we were baptized into Christ, our sins were washed away. But once in a while, even after becoming a Christian, we mess up again. And we need to be forgiven again. So we need to, uh, what we need to do is to honestly and humbly come back to God again and ask for a fresh start. And guess what? He'll forgive us again. I, I, I want to close things out with this poem. I like this poem. Kathleen Wheeler. Uh, she wrote this. He came to my desk with quivering lip. The lesson was done. Have you a new leaf for me, dear teacher? I have spoiled this one. I took his leaf and all soiled and blotted and gave him a new one all unspotted. Then into his tired heart I smiled. Do better now, my child. I went to the throne with trembling heart. The day was done. Have you a new day for me, dear master? I have spoiled this one. He took my day all soiled and blotted and gave me a new one all unspotted. Then into my tired heart he smiled. Do better now, my child. I love that poem. I love it. And that's why I'm always so thankful to the Lord for each and every new day. Here's a new day in which I can do better. I can do better. And every breath is a blessing. Every day is a blessing from the Lord. He's given us a new one, all unspotted. What are you going to do with it? It's your choice. We always have that choice to do better, to do God's will. And amongst all the hardships and everything that's going uh, difficult for us here in our country, in our world today, don't become distracted. Keep on keeping on for the Lord. Keep moving in the right direction. And you know that direction. Read his word. Read the Bible. It will lead you the right way. It's the pattern by which we should follow. Thank you again. I want to encourage you once more to go to our website, www.nvcoc.net. You can click on that. If you scroll down, you click on that radio mic, you'll find not only this lesson, but all our past lessons. And we hope that you have an encouraging, strengthening, blessed day. May the Lord bless you in all that you do. Thank you, and take care. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty Son. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.